we are going to be looking at a very powerful story in the life and ministry of Jesus in Mark chapter 9. And even as I was praying, it, it really is a prayer that I could pray every week, that, that we would be able to hear the word of God this morning as though God is speaking to us. And that is the intention of every Sunday morning gathering that we have, in fact. We could say this every Sunday morning. The idea is that by God's grace, we would, through songs and worship and praise and, and just considering the love of God for us, he would, he would somehow transcend all of the other things in our life, and he would, he would become once again above all. And that is a challenge week by week, but I mention it before we get into the word this morning because... In fact, this is what the word is calling us to through the story of transfiguration, that God would somehow lift up his son so high and glorious that he alone would be the person that we listen to, the voice that we listen to and obey. And I say that knowing that the competition for your ears and your thoughts and what you're listening to has probably never been higher. There's never been a more competitive age to get you to listen to things than the age you live in. If you are an average person statistically, not by any other metric, looks or intelligence or talent, but if you're statistically the average person, you probably have already scrolled through a hundred accounts on your phone today of voices you can listen to. And you will spend up to 70% of your day consuming information in the form of listening and hearing thoughts and ideas from experts to professors to podcast hosts to influencers to friends to people who have instant access to your attention through your phone. You live in a superhighway of information begging for your attention. And the question is, who in fact is the ultimate voice that you listen to? It's a challenging time. I, I think back to when I was a kid, you'd wake up on Saturday morning and that was the morning where uh, all the kids to allow their parents to sleep in would watch Saturday morning cartoons. Remember those days? Now cartoons are on demand, but there used to be a special moment and every once in a while during that special moment, when there were all of these voices that I could listen to as a child, there would be a break through the broadcast, an emergency broadcast. And it would say, it is now time where every channel, no matter what you're watching, every person in front of a screen is going to listen to this. And it was the most important person in that moment telling you something that you had to hear. In some ways, we have a break in the story with an emergency broadcast this morning where we are going to see a break in all of the voices and all of the competition for the ministry and the focus and the mission of Jesus. Today, we are going to hear a break in the story to say, listen to him. We have to pick up the story with that in mind because just two weeks ago, we were looking at a debate between Peter and Jesus as to what the mission was going to be. The Christ who suffers, the suffering servant of a king, 
And Peter rebuked Jesus, and Jesus rebuked Peter. Then last week, Jesus says, if you want to follow me, you better understand the cross. And now we pick up the story to say, listen to him. It's not a debate anymore. This is going to be the definitive moment in the Gospel of Mark where we are going to get a preview of to the glory of Christ to the authority on heaven and earth this morning. And so we read that mindful that this is something that we can greatly be blessed by in an age where our debates run wild and our voices compete. And Jesus, the message from last week to pick up your cross and deny yourself was met with competition and all sorts of counter messages, like identify with whatever you want and follow your instincts or follow the science or trust the experts or choose your favorite pastor and find the church that speaks to you exactly where you're at. And the internal dialogue was probably the loudest in challenging the idea that you should deny yourself. But today we get an elevation of Christ once again to say, listen to him. So Mark chapter 9, are you ready? If you're still listening, let's start. Verse 1. And he said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that there are some standing here who will not taste death till they see the kingdom of God present with power. And we could do a whole study of all of the debates that just circle around that one verse, but the simplest answer is just, as usual, keep reading. As Jesus says, you're about to see the kingdom come in power. Some of you won't taste death till you die. And then he takes some of them and shows them the kingdom in power. Verse 2. Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John. And he led them up on a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before him, before them. He was somehow changed from what they knew him to be physically in his glory, what they were confessing as Peter confessed, you're the Christ. They're now going to see a transfiguration from them seeing him as a man to seeing him in the glory that we worshiped him this morning. A preview into the glory that awaited the ascension of Christ where he now sits on the right hand of the Father. He is transfigured, and without being a language expert, the word transfigured could be the same way we think about a, a butterfly coming out of the cocoon. There's a, there's a new creation that's being revealed in some old creation. And, well, Mark is going to do his best, best to describe what this looks like in verse 3. It says, his clothes became shining exceedingly white like snow, such as no launderer on earth can whiten them. Mark is limited by language. He's trying his best to describe what they saw in this heavenly vision of the Christ in all of his glory, a preview to the ascension. And the best he could do was say, it's whiter than anything you've ever seen. The, the deepest white that comes from a bleach and the best laundromat doesn't hold a candle to it. I can't go farther than that. He's trying to describe something that our language and our minds can't understand because it is from another realm. He's radiating light. It is the fulfillment of the declaration. He said, I am the light of the world. It's a preview of what we find in the book of Revelation when in the new heavens and the new earth, there will be no sun because God in all his glory will illuminate the whole creation. 
This is the Christ that we worshiped. And we could pause and probably do a whole series on the Christ that we must worship compared to the Christ that we all often put inside of a very small picture that we grabbed from Sunday school and we never did anything with it. There's a Christ that lives on a felt board. There's a Christ that lives in a news feed with a catchy phrase or a bumper sticker or your verse of the day. There is a Christ that is a friend and a, a thumbs up Jesus, a hippie or a shepherd or meek and mild. But the Christ that we worship now, that sits on the right hand of the Father, is indescribable in his glory. And it's important we understand this, because one of the questions you must ask as you pick which voice will be the voice that defines the direction of your life, the voice that you give ultimate authority to when there's competing ideas and there's competing plans for your life and there's competing doctrine of beliefs or there's competing science. The ultimate authority is the one that is the highest. It is the most glorious. That's why oftentimes when the nation of Israel was serving anyone but God, they were called false gods because they had acted like they were gods. They were lowercase g gods. They weren't real, but they were giving them the authority of the living God. And for us to say Christ is authoritative, he calls us to a cross and a mission and to be his ambassadors on earth, not by recommendation or wise counsel or one of another million voices in your life, but because he is greater than anything this world has or will ever see. The glorious Christ demands you to follow him. And we'll get a picture of how quickly the glory of Christ can find itself in competition with other great voices that precede him. Because right after he's transfigured and they see his glory, it says in verse 4, and Elijah appeared to them with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. The disciples have seen the transfigured glory of Christ, and now they have a vision of some incredible men of honor that preceded Christ, Elijah and Moses. So the good Bible student that you are, you say, why out of all of the Old Testament heroes of the faith or Hebrews 11 people that could be elevated as great examples to follow after pointing us to Jesus, why Elijah and Moses? Why not Abraham, the father of faith? Why not David, the, 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 the first king after God's own heart, whom the Messiah will take the throne of forevermore? Why not Daniel, the one who, who gives us the best forecast of the future coming kingdom? Elijah and Moses. One helpful bit of information to understand about this time is that they didn't call what we're holding in our laps this morning a Bible and they didn't call the Old Testament the Old Testament. They actually called it the law and the prophets. Everything they knew about the heart of God, the character of God, the story of God, the redemptive plan and work of God, the law of God, and the prophets of God, or the guardians of the law of God, was summed up in the law and the prophets. And so with that in mind, we see a vision, not randomly, of the representation of Everything that preceded Christ from the heart of God to his people before this moment. 
And it's with this in mind that we have another mountaintop experience to think about. Because this is not the first time Jesus has called people to a mountaintop experience to get a revelation of who he was. This is the revelation of his heavenly glory. But we'll remember from our study in summer of the uh, summer on the Mount, when we studied the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus called people on top of a mountain to give a revelation of the constitution of his kingdom, all of the ways of his kingdom, the light of the world, not in his glory, but in his wisdom and in his ways. And this is what he says in the Sermon on the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Jesus standing, discussing with Moses and Elijah is a moment for these three witnesses that Jesus chose to see his glory as a preview of the coming ascension, He chose this moment to show them that this is, in fact, the plan of God. That Moses and Elijah come right beside him, one to the left, one to the right, as he is revealed in his glory. He is not undermining the work and the plan of God leading up to this moment. And it will be important for us to come back to that. And remember the underlying debate from Peter to Jesus and the questions the disciples had. How can this be that the Messiah we were waiting for is going to die? Is this really according to all of the prophecies we've been waiting for and the, 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 the law that we've been standing on? And Jesus stands with Moses and Elijah to represent the plan. And so then Peter speaks up as he often does to help us understand a moment more clearly with not necessarily what to do, but what not to do. And so thank you, Peter, for uh, be going before us in all of the ways that you are corrected. Peter answered in verse 5 and said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. This is awesome. And let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah because he did not know what to say, for they were greatly afraid. And so, again, there's all sorts of sermons that we won't preach this morning. One of them is, if you don't know what to say, it's okay to say nothing. <laughs> I think oftentimes we get ourselves into trouble for more of the things that we thought or that we said without thinking than not speaking at all. And Peter, of course, has a good idea that is the wrong idea, and we'll get to that. But here's the competition already. He says, let us build three tabernacles. He has gone from confessing Jesus as Christ to calling him rabbi on the same level as the law and the prophets. And you'll remember from our study in Exodus that a tabernacle is essentially a mobile unit of worship that the children of Israel used as they were traveling through the wilderness to worship God to set up a place for his presence to dwell, a sanctuary that they could use while they're in the wilderness. So Peter, being a good Bible student that he was, he says, let's do that now. Let's set up three places of worship, one for each of you, 
a temporary place for us to worship the amazing heroes of the faith, and he's so kind to even include Jesus himself. And now we come to the moment for all of us to see the glory of Jesus through the lens of Peter. As no doubt you were thinking through the voices in your world and how closely they're competing with Christ. How closely, if you were as genuine and honest and open as Peter, there are things in your life that dwell in tabernacles of worship that go beyond the glory of Christ into things that are good and honorable and precede Christ or even speak on behalf of Christ or even point you to Christ, but they are not objects of worship. And so now we have the great interruption of the broadcast. And Peter's whole idea is going to be overwhelmed with a voice that demands a response of worship to Christ and Christ alone. Verse, verse 7, and a cloud came and overshadowed them. We've seen this cloud throughout the work and ministry of Jesus. A cloud came and overshadowed Mary to fill her with the power of virgin birth. We saw a cloud open up and declare the glory of Christ to the shepherds. We saw a cloud come and declare, this is my son in the baptism waters of the Jordan River with John the Baptist and Jesus in his baptism. And once again, this cloud representing these times where heaven invades earth, where an audible voice of heaven is opening up the skies in a way through a cloud to say declaratively, this is my son. Altogether different than any voice, than any authority, than anyone else in your life. And the voice comes out and says, this is my beloved son. Underline it, live by it, make it a mission of your life. The voice says to Peter, James, and John, the voice says to us at Calvary Boise this morning, this is my son, hear him. This is not a passive command. This is a command that elevates him to be totally different in authority than anyone you could compare him to, including the greats. And suddenly when they had looked around, they saw no one anymore, but only Jesus with themselves. This is the moment of great clarity and a shift in the vision that they have for Jesus, confessing him as Christ, being confused by his cross, and now seeing him as the authority even greater than anyone they could ever compare him to. And this will be the great clarity of your life. You know, every time you come to church, there are things that God can give you to take with you, to smuggle out of the sanctuary by the free gift of God's grace. This would be worth taking with you. To have a moment, an encounter with the glory of Christ that puts all other vision out of sight that you can no longer see all of the other voices as comparable to Christ. They're no longer in competition. You look around today, your phone, your screens, your televisions, all of the things that try to blast into your airwaves, and all of a sudden, by God's grace, we see Christ and Christ alone. That is the purpose of the transfiguration, to end all debates, 
to end all bickering and wondering if Christ and his mission to go to a cross, to suffer many things, to rise again on the third day, is actually the plan of God. The voice of heaven is the heavenly father himself saying, listen to him. And he says that to all of us now. In an age of maybe the greatest confusion that our country has ever had to navigate through, just confused people, sheep scattered without a shepherd. The answer for our age is for God to be so glorified through the light shining out of his people and for Christ to be so elevated as altogether different, not a sage, a wise teacher, or a counselor, but as the glorious savior of the world. That we no longer wonder who we should be listening to and who we should be following and what voices in the culture have any authority. Listen to him. And so we think of even what we're doing right now and all of the ways that we can have our tabernacles of honor. You know, I think of even just being, just the, the grace to be part of a, a church and a church tradition that God has used over the years. I don't know if you guys have heard, but there's a movie about Calvary Chapel that's out called The Jesus Revolution, and I've heard great things. I'm going to try and go see it myself. So I can recommend it. This is not to disparage it. But great timing that it's also not to put Calvary Chapel's dove in a tabernacle. It's like we got in one tabernacle, if, if we could be honest, it's like we got Pastor Chuck in one, we got Greg Laurie in another, and we got Jesus right down the middle. And here we are. I love our tradition. But there will be no Calvary Chapel dove flags in eternity. We will look around and we will see only Jesus. And some of you are like, Calvary Chapel? I just walked in here by accident. I don't even know what this church is called. Well, welcome. <laughs> you all have people that you will elevate to a place of honor and respect, and you'll want their opinion, you want their advice, and what they say is gospel. And what we hear this morning is, listen to Christ. Allow no one to dwell in a temporary tabernacle in your heart or mind but Christ alone. Hear him. And this is an exercise that I was cleansed by even this week because we live in an information age, which means there's information about every sermon that can be preached and every Bible study that can be studied. And everything you can do, you can check with 25 resources and 35 books and sources at your fingertip. And at some point this week, as I'm listening to the voices of preachers and reading the words of commentary, I closed the book and I said, Lord, I just want to listen to you. I just want to listen to you as I talk about listening to you. And by no means is this to say that those who have come before us should not be honored and respected and that the law and the prophets are to be done away with. Jesus says he came to fulfill them. This is saying everything that is good and glorifying to God points to the worship of Christ and Christ alone. Listen to him. As you come with questions, as you have burdens on your heart, and you hope to find someone to offer you counsel, it is all done to point you to the worship 
and the adoration and the submission to Christ alone. And so the transfiguration is in some ways answering the question of who to listen to. Takes him on a mountain and he says, I'm altogether different than anything you can compare me to. And so now we spend the second half of our time in the word answering a very fundamental question that once you know who to listen to, you have to answer, how do you hear Christ? How is it that we hear him at all? In, all, in an age of information and churches on every corner and sermons on every channel, how do we cut through the fog of well-intended noise even about Christ? So we now look to answer the question, how do we hear him? And by God's grace, there are some practical answers that come right after this moment as they look around and see only Jesus and seen clothes, they now begin to follow him in a way that will answer questions on how they are to listen to him. It starts in verse 9. Now, as they came down from the mountain. Now, before we get to a concrete answer, we have to acknowledge the reality that on this side of eternity, you must come down the mountain. And whatever glory you experience on a Sunday morning in the mountaintop experience of worship, you must go into the streets and the workplaces and all of the ways that the mountaintop does not last. It is only a preview. I got to practically preach that from a real mountaintop in McCall with the youth last week. On Monday morning, right before we all went to clean the cabins, a reminder that the glory of youth camp must come down the mountain and go back to a life of following Jesus in a less glorious way. So in whatever way we can exalt Christ on Sunday morning, one of the lessons this morning is, and then you come back down the mountain. And how do you listen to him then? And he con it continues and gives us our first answer. And then he commanded them, saying that they should tell no one the things they had seen till the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept this word to themselves. He commands them, they obey. And of course, they're still questioning what rising from the dead actually meant. So imagine the story, we use our mind's eye, trying to understand a glory that cannot be captured by words. And then I hope you have some sympathy for Peter, James, and John as they're walking down and they've seen Elijah, Moses, and Jesus. They've heard a voice from heaven saying, listen to him. They've seen the radiance of heaven shining out of Christ. And he, they come down the mountain and he says, don't say anything. Be a difficult challenge to obey, but I'm excited to see how the chosen explains all of that. That would be nice for us to see through video form. But the key is that he commands them. His glory is not wasted. The moment is not wasted with recommendations. When you see the glory of God, you will be brought to your knees in fear. You will be met with his mercy. And then you will realize that it is for a purpose to get you in order, in proper order underneath him. No one sees the glory of God and thinks, well, that was interesting. I think I'll go back to what I was doing now. The glory of God is to break down your pride enough to say, whatever you say, Lord, whatever you want me to do, I will do. He commands them. He commands them to say nothing because it was just a preview that would not be fully understood until after the resurrection. So 
lest you think that command applies to us. Christ is risen. He's risen indeed. We are in full, uh, we are in full permission to declare his glory to the world. But in this window of their life, they had to hold it to themselves and consider the command, and they kept it quiet. And so how does God speak? How do you hear Christ? How do you listen to Jesus? In his commandments. I know there's all sorts of very specific things that all of us are waiting on the Lord for that have very unique answers that will require a sensitivity to the spirit, a discernment, a a gift of direction from God. But there are, in much bigger ways, commandments for all of us to live by as followers of Jesus. Jesus says it didn't come to abolish the law. He came to restore it, to, to renew it, to simplify it into the love of God and love of neighbor as yourself. And as we already saw this mountaintop with the Sermon on the Mount teaching his glory through wisdom, isn't it interesting that the Luke account of the same message of the Sermon on the Mount is actually called the Sermon on the Plain. From the mountaintop to the plain, Jesus gives the message twice. And what does he say in, the Luke's, in Luke's account of the same sermon? He says this, But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which I say? Whoever comes to me and hears my saying and does them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. Whoever hears my sayings or my commandments and does them. Even as I was waiting on the Lord this week, saying, Lord, I want to hear from you. I get to this moment, and it's like, Lord, I don't want to hear your sayings and then not do them. So I went right back to the Sermon on the Mount, and I read Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. I have read it countless times. We spent a whole summer preaching through it verse by verse. And as I read it with fresh eyes once again, I think... I am not living this in my life. In some ways, the Holy Spirit comes and says, hear this, listen to it. Let your light shine to the world. Don't hide it under a basket. Turn the other cheek. Love your neighbor as yourself. Forgive, love your enemies. The commandments of Jesus are clear. Do we hear them and do we obey? And one specific commandment that must be heard in the context of this moment, the transfiguration, is everything we covered last week. Luke gives us more details about what they're discussing in Luke's account of the transfiguration in chapter 9. It says, and behold, two men talked as Mark covered, but now we get details. The men were Moses and Elijah, and they appeared in glory and spoke of his decease, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. They're not having a random conversation. They're not having tea. They're not having coffee. He's taking the same conversation from what we studied in Mark chapter 8, where he said, the son of man must suffer many things, be rejected, die, and rise again. And on the third day, rise again. He is now going over once again the plan with the law and the prophets in unity. It is that conversation that the disciples were listening to, and it is that conversation that the cloud overwhelms them and says, stop talking and listen to him. And if you listen to that part of the plan, you can listen to last week's sermon, which is the commandment that all of this is rooted in. Mark chapter 8, verse 34. We just covered it. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. 
Jesus doesn't say, if you want to be my disciple, consider this. One tract for you to consider. You can try self-denial. You can try another tract. It says, if you want to be my disciple, I command you to deny yourself, to follow me in my cross, to follow me in suffering that precedes the glory that you will see before you taste death for some of you. I've said it before and I'll say it again. If you want to hear Christ, the cross will follow you. The cross will find you. The cross will demand you to say, listen to the call once again. The second way that we can hear him this morning, verse 11, and they asked him saying, why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Then he answered and told them, indeed, Elijah is coming first and restores all things. And how it is written concerning the Son of Man that he must suffer many things and be treated with contempt. But I say to you that Elijah has also come and they did to him whatever they wished as it is written of him. There is in their minds a competition between Jesus and the experts of the law and the prophets, the scribes. Their question is, Jesus, when we hear what the scribes teach, they say Elijah must come. What are you saying? Because Elijah came in a vision, then he was gone. Elijah was going to come and reform, and he hasn't yet, and yet you're marching towards Jerusalem to die on a cross. And Jesus says something for all of us to hear once again, and we'll hear it for the rest of our lives, as it is written. I am not in competition with what has been written. In fact, what has been written says that the Son of Man must suffer many things. And what had been written about Elijah is that he suffered before he experienced glory. In other words, if you want to hear Christ, you must hear the word. It is not an either or. You don't hear the New Testament and can't find Christ in the Old Testament. Or you don't hear Christ just now through the Sermon on the Mount and then do whatever you want. It is by no accident that Jesus gives a command and points them, the, all three of them right back to the Word. And so I share with you now, Romans chapter 10. So faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. If you want to hear from God, if you are in one of those moments of your life waiting for direction and wisdom, asking God to speak to you, you must do it with the word. He will speak to you through the word. And I will say to encourage all of you that what we just read is a reminder that what we're doing now is a way to hear from the Lord. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word. Which means God can, in fact, and I don't say this because I happen to be behind the pulpit at this moment, God can, in fact, and will speak to you through the preaching of the word. You can come here expectant that God will speak to your life right now. Not because of the preacher, in spite of the preacher. <laughs> and that's why we're so grateful as preachers that God used a donkey to make it very clear. There's no doubt he can use anyone. He can speak to you at a church of five people. He can speak to you at a church of 5,000 people. But it is one of those reminders. Some of you may feel it now. I have heard it time and time again. And it, by God's grace, will never be anything that I can take credit for. But you listen to a sermon. You're going through a question and aching with the Lord. And you come to church. And the preacher opens up. And he says something that the Lord has given to you as an answer. And then you rush to the 
the preacher after the sermon, you say, I think you have been following me around all week with a camera in my house and a tape recorder in my car. All preachers hear that. It does not make the preacher special. It is not anything that the preacher has done. All he has done is open the word and allow God to be glorified. And I'll say it again to make sure it's doubly emphasized. God uses preachers in spite of preachers. It is his word that's speaking to you. It is his word that has the answer for you. And finally, we get a third moment in their descent from the mountain to answer our question, how can we hear from Jesus? And once again, we're grateful for the way that we have not only Mark's version, but the gospel of Luke to give us details that I find helpful. In Luke chapter nine, he says this. Now it came to pass about eight days after these sayings that he took Peter, John, and James and went up the mountain to have an amazing transfiguration worship conference. It's not what he did. To give them an apologetics workshop on why he is sent from heaven, from heaven to heaven. It's not what he did. It said he went to the mountain. He invites them to see the glory of the heavens opened up and the authoritative voice of the Father in heaven declaring his beloved son to be listened to through prayer. He invites them to the mountain to pray. Come pray with me. That's all they knew, that they were walking up a mountain to go seek the glory of the Father in heaven together. And I will say, going right back to where we came from, this is the hardest way in our times to hear from God because prayer requires a killing of the noise. Prayer requires you to turn off all other voices, even your own internal dialogue, and to quiet your heart and quiet your mind and seek God intentionally, not only to speak to him and have him bless your food and care for your kids at night, but seeking him in a way that would allow the still and small voice of the power of the Holy Spirit to speak to your life. And in the age of noise, prayer is the first victim in our lives. That's why I will give you the easiest and hardest application for this sermon to begin with is to restore what we used to call in the 90s something that was almost so cliche that we don't talk about anymore, but the power is in the name itself, quiet time. Remember when we would talk about quiet time and we would set aside a time in our morning or in evening to take out the PBJ, the prayer, the Bible, and the journal, and to quiet everything. And like any trend in, of discipline, it fades, but it was also under extreme attack because it's very difficult to have quiet time on a phone. It's very difficult to have quiet time with Alexa listening in. <laughs> it's hard to have quiet time when there are so many other things competing for your ears. But you want to hear Jesus this morning? Think about how all of this started, how his glory was revealed. It was revealed through the power of prayer. So as Noah already prayed, I will invite you, for those of you who desire to see this 
moment that disciples got to witness where they looked around and everything else faded away, I will invite you as a church collective, we see this as a perfect time for the journey that we're on to restore a heart of prayer and focus for our church, our families, and our lives individually. On Wednesday night, we are going to worship Jesus above all else. We're going to open his word and then we are going to pray. And wouldn't it be wonderful if we were part of a church that took those three things as seriously as we take the fun gathering of Sunday mornings. So you're invited to Wednesday nights and then Thursday mornings at 7 a.m. We are going to open the word. We're going to consider what it says. We're going to quiet our hearts and we're going to pray. And we're going to do that every Wednesday and Thursday until Easter. So you're all invited to do that. We're about to close. As we do that, we are going to hold in our hands a reminder of a commandment of Jesus, a promise of his word, and the power of a, a cry to the Lord as we, as we take communion. So if you're a believer, if you're following Jesus, take communion with us. And the band is going to come lead us in a time to once again put Jesus above all else. And as they come out and the ushers begin to prepare that time, I'll leave you with one simple hymn to consider all of this with. You could almost consider it just a go forth and be blessed by this, this song. We used to sing a, called, a song called Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Imagine if it was Turn Your Ears Upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light in the transfigured glory that puts all other glory into a place of invisible darkness that makes every seat of honor and temporary tabernacle of worship disappear before him in the light of his glory and grace. May that be true of your life as God calls you to hear Jesus today.